Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Welcome to a bonus episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I know many of you guys have been working with your partners, spouses in one space in your home for weeks or in some part of the world right now for months. And as we are kind of confined in the same place, many of the previous wounds can come up. I certainly see, experience and witness the increase in the conflict, frequently a conflict and the intensity of conflict and argument and fights between my clients in my practice, because I still do a lot of video counseling. All of my practice is online now, but I do a lot of couples work as well. So if you are feeling stuck with your partner and you want to know how you can navigate this situation, I have a guest that is an expert in conflict resolution because I truly believe that sometimes we can make the situations, the conflict significantly less hostile. We can improve our communication by kind of implementing some strategies. So our guest is Barry Davis, and he's going to teach us some really good tips and tricks that you can implement to your marriage and relationship right now. So he offered the outline of the strategy. So there is a PDF that goes with this that you can download on the show notes. Barry Davis, he is he's specializing in helping clients through the divorce process in the most healthy, cost-effective manner possible. It's interesting that I know him as a divorce mediator, is but one of the most pro-family people I ever met. Like many of us, he holds master's degree in clinical psychology and additionally conflict management. He's an adjunct professor at Azusa Pacific University and serves on the Torrance Tor- Family Court and Second Appeal District Mediation Panels. Without further ado, here's my interview with Barry Davis. All right. I'm so excited today to have a conversation with my favorite local mediator, who's also been trained as a therapist. So Barry, welcome to the to this live. Thank you. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. I am very excited about this conversation because one of the challenges that many people have, especially during this COVID-19 situation, is kind of manage their relationship. Many people are staying at home with their partner and issues come up and past issues come up. So, and I know that conflict management is your specialty. So please tell us a little bit about what can we do to manage this chaos better. Sounds good. There's there's a lot of things we can do. And I think, let's start with this. I think that most of what is probably going on right now, as you alluded to, is not new. It's exacerbated by the amount of time we're spending together, by the stress we're under, potentially by depression, grief, just being a little bit, uh, you know, cabin fever kind of going on. Mm-hmm. It's probably pre-existing issues that are just getting worse. So, when I teach conflict management, there's a lot of things I look at. And we, we reference there's an outline. We're not going to go through the outline, but anybody that's listening can reference that for more detail. I look at what, what is conflict, what causes it, and what can we do about it. And, and it, even as an overlay to that, 
I look at you could have the greatest conflict management tools in the world, but if you don't have the motivation to use them, they're no good. That's really important. So I think motivation and understanding is important. So one of the things I look at is what's going on, what's causing conflict, probably it's pre-existing, and look at, you know, what are you trying to achieve in this situation? Rather than why is that person just getting under your skin, pissing you off, just uh, you want to strangle them uh, more so than you did before the pandemic, what's bothering you? And Mm -hmm. instead of just letting that fester, what's a direct question or request that you can make of the other person to address what's bothering you? Come up with a plan of action rather than just being angry with them and try to implement that. And sometimes that involves negotiation. I'm not delusional enough to think just you stating what you want is <laughs> going to resolve the issue. At least it doesn't in my marriage. I've been married 17 years. I'm married to a very strong-willed German woman. And um, I negotiate on a daily basis. But bringing that conflict from being kind of underneath driving negativity in the relationship to being something that's explored, discussed, and even negotiated, I think is one of the first steps. Mm -hmm. And such an important point that you brought up that people kind of like the first step would be kind of bringing up your request because many of the couples that I see, they challenge their conflict avoidance. They feel if they have a conflict, if there's something going on, and if they verbalize it with their partner, it shows that there's something wrong, it makes them anxious, wrong in the marriage. But what we know that at every two p- person that they're living together, there are things that they want differently. And especially right now that we are in a confined space. Yeah, it's, it, it's this fantasy of, well, if the relationship's really meant to be, or if it's a really good relationship, it'll just work. That is the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. So pardon, <laughs> pardon my directness, but... <laughs> I mean, two people from different family of origins with different values, different orientations towards the the two biggest things that couples fight about, sex and money, and then kids. And and it's just supposed to magically work like some sort of Disney film. Uh, No, that's, that's unrealistic. So certainly discussing things is not a sign of a relationship that's failing or is dysfunctional or isn't working. It's actually a sign of a vibrant relationship to where you can discuss things together and say, hey, it just really annoys me when you do A, B, and C. Um, Now, there's better ways to state it than that. You know, I would appreciate it if during these difficult times we could work on this. But it's it's what's going to get you there as far as a good relationship. So, yeah, discussion, talking about things especially under stressors. Uh, I've been a divorce mediator for 17 years now. And what I found is the vast majority of my clients, when I take a history, the thing started to go wrong many times whenever they had the first child. (laughs) Why I think that is, I have children, I had twins, so I, I double dipped right at the beginning. It's crazy. But I think the thing is, it's more stressors. Uh, the limited resources of time, money, et cetera, start to become more strained at that time, just like we're seeing right now. And that is what creates division. And unfortunately, like you say, many people are conflict avoidant. So when division happens and conflict happens, they avoid it and they start getting a little bit further apart and a little bit further apart and a little bit further apart. So that's what we're trying to avoid by having discussions 
about difficult issues. And then what we can talk about, hopefully, you know, as we proceed is, what are some specifics on the best ways to have those conversations? Mm -hmm. So important. And also, I think it's important to know there is a kind of a negative conflict. I know you have that in your handout. And there is a kind of constructive conflict. Every single couple or two different people, as we talked about, in the relationship. And we're going to be different. But there are some arguments and conflicts that we we know, and I know in my marriage, that if, I, if we go there, we'll never kind of like arrive to this conclusion. And it's important to know the difference. So what are some of the things that distinguish a negative conflict than the positive one or a yeah, constructive there, one? There's all sorts of things. And there's, we have five characteristics in the outline, if people want to reference it, of both positive and negative. I think one of the things that I'll just pick one of them on each side. I think the positive conflict it's openness, like we talked about, being open to listen, being open to discussion. On the negative side is defensiveness. And I'll own this for my gender. We typically tend to be a little more defensive than, than our female counterparts. Uh, we're a little bit more blocked off, maybe not as open to the discussion, dealing with emotional things. Obviously, I'm generalizing. You can't say that about all men. But I think when you look at this continuum of openness, being willing to discuss things, and being equipped to discuss things, because again, I'll, I'll own this for my gender. I don't know that we're as well equipped to deal with emotional aspects versus defensiveness, where it's easier to just shut it down. Th- those are very different ends of the spectrum. So being open to discuss things, and, and since I'm gender stereotyping a little bit, what I'd encourage the, the, the women to do, the wives, the girlfriends, etc., help us along. Give us a little you know, help us out uh, with how we can express things because I think that helps in a relationship. So I think being open to talk, not getting defensive quickly, which is a two-way street. If somebody says, I really can't stand it when you that respond to that, I would really appreciate it if you could. So, so much of this is about how you approach it, how you frame it to engender the other, uh, an open response from the other person versus engendering a, a scared animal response where they're cornered and they've got fight or flight. It is. I, I, I was smiling because I, I feel this is such a unique situation. People for being in their, their own kind of confined to their space kind of brings up lots of childhood wounds from like from their past and kind of they have a reaction of scared animal. I know that like I had a couple of times last week that like I was like, oh, I sound like my five years old <laughs> self. And I think it's important to kind of acknowledge that for yourself, but also for the relationship piece. And I love that kind of like being showing up and being expressive is important with your partner and kind of knowing your partner and okay, what can I do? What's my partner's strength? And what's my strength? And what how can we resolve this? So tell us, what are some of the tips that you have for people? If they are struggling, for example, right now, if the relationship is to start with, it was like neutral or negative, And now we are in the quarantine situation and things get amplified. Tell us what are some of the things we can do to minimize unnecessary tension and kind of resolve some of those issues at home. I'm going to talk a little bit about what, what I address in the outline whenever I call what creates conflict or what's mm-hmm. behind conflict. And I think it's so much of the assumptions, attributions, expectations that we have about conflict and about our spouse, like you said. So going from things being unconscious to conscious, what's going on here? Because it probably wasn't just what that person just said 
or what they just did. It's your interpretation of it. And it's just to use a non-clinical term, it's the baggage that you bring to the table previously. And so it's, it's what, um, what, what we call hot buttons. I did a training years ago in Thailand, and we were trying to do a translation between English and Thai for hot buttons. And their phrasing, they, a couple of the, the English and Thai speakers got together in the workshop, and they tried to figure out what was the direct translation. And theirs is so much better than ours. It's old scars. Mm-hmm. So if you old scars, they're more tender to the touch. You can barely touch them, meaning just doing relatively minor, and it sets you off. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we're dealing with here is that previous baggage. And so think about why did what this person said or did upset you so much, uh, number one. Number two, what's the breakdown as best you can do it? You don't have to give it exact percentages, but between – how bad what they just did was versus what you're bringing to the table from previous baggage and then figure out from that how to deal with it. Don't, don't so much what we get upset about is my spouse was disrespectful. You know, we, we attribute all these things that, you know, they simply grabbed the remote from us or said, I, I want to go eat someplace different or, and it's, whoa, we're off to the races on that. And it's so much about the attribution and the assumption that you're making. So peel the onion back, look at that, and then provide direct feedback in tr- what I call true I statements. Okay. I get very angry when you're such an idiot is not a true <laughs> I statement. An I statement is I would really appreciate it if we could. Okay. So no disguised I statements where it's just a disguised attack, but a true I statement. So identify why it's bothering you. Try to do a breakdown of what the percentage is or what the breakdown is, how bad what they really did was versus kind of the baggage or assumptions or attributions you bring to the table and then figure out a, a plan or some feedback, I would say even before plan, some feedback about, hey, that felt disrespectful to me. Is there a way we can do this differently in the future? Well, I think those are all great points, especially kind of not using kind of, for example, I statement as just a tool, being intentional about it. And the other piece that you mentioned that was very interesting is that kind of like paying attention about the kind of attribution piece, like the story that your mind tells you about the situation might not be accurate here and kind of like pause and reflect. Because I would imagine these days people are more in hypervigilant phase and we're just trying to get by through our day. And those kind of like negative stories can pop up quickly in our mind. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of Survivor. And one of the things that I know Survivor is when they're 25, 30, 35 days in and they're malnourished and they haven't had more than three hours of sleep each night and everything else, their brains aren't as sharp and clear. They're not responding like we would when we're getting three meals a day and eight hours of sleep and all that. And I think that's analogous to what we're experiencing now. We're so stressed. We haven't been out of the home that much, or maybe we have, depending on our work, or we've spent eight to 10 hours a day on Zoom staring at a screen. And that's, that's, those aren't good conditions for reflection constructive conflict management with our spouse and his brain, which is your unconscious, then you'll start to utilize that in how you react to the other person. And if you know, man, I'm already on edge, maybe in between stimulus and response, in between their comment and your comment back, 
you can have that filter to go, wow, is that really about what that person just said? Or is it about the, the crappy day I have or having cabin fever or whatever else? And building that filter, elongating that two to three to maybe five seconds in between stimulus and response to go, wow, was that really that bad? Did that person really mean that disrespectfully? Was that really such a bad comment or what they did? Was that really that bad? Or is it just what I'm bringing to the table right now? Sometimes that is generally not positive uh, when, when, when it's just, you know, A to B stimulus to response without that filter. Yeah, and many of us in our relationship, we know where, where the argument goes, right? As soon as I say, you always do this. I know that but my spouse will say that. And this is, this, could, this is a loop for many of the long repair relationships that people absolutely know where it would go. And right now, it's not a place to go to those places when everyone is stressed out and you are in a kind of stuck at home for most people. So I love that you're saying that, okay, maybe you need to pause and kind of like take a breath and see, okay, what can I do? Like what's going on here before I'm saying something that's going to escalate situations from five to 10 and we all going to get overwhelmed. What can people do in the, in the moment when they are very kind of stuck in the, like the frustration is building up? What can they do to kind of like deescalate the situation before things get really tough and kind of like problematic at home? I'm going to give you two practical approaches. One is called going to the balcony. The other is called separating the person from the problem. Both of these are from the Harvard Negotiation Project. People that were involved in things like the U.S. and USSR nuclear disarmament talks and the Camp David talks. So pretty good resume on dealing with some <laughs> global issues that, that they've actually been able to resolve. So, and I think so much of this is about being practical. One of the things that I had to teach myself after I got married was, wow, um, let's see, I just wasted three hours on an argument or discussion with my wife after I said something stupid. And I looked at it and go, no, I don't want to waste that next three hours on that. And then maybe it's not even three hours. Maybe it's the uh, agitation that spills over to the next day. So going to the balcony, this is where you develop this technique of seeing yourself looking, go look, being on a balcony and looking down on the situation. We can think of how this is visualized in a lot of TV shows and movies where you kind of have an out-of-body experience and you're looking down at that situation. And it kind of gives you some objectivity and distance if you practice it over time to look at the situation as a third party and, and be able to, to examine it a little bit better. Separating the person from the problem. Similarities here, but it's slightly different application. Rather than implicitly and, and unconsciously looking at the other person as the problem, they're the impediment to you getting what you want or they're creating this issue, separate the problem as a third entity, okay? So I always visualize this when I do trainings. I have two people up front. They stand face-to-face -face and they kind of waggle their fingers at each other, just like a typical couple, uh, again, discussion uh, or argument, however you want to put it. And that's how we typically do it. Then I have people come alongside shoulder to shoulder, and then we've got something out here that is the problem. This is the third problem, third entity, and we're both going to stand shoulder to shoulder and work on it together because oftentimes it is a third entity. It's time or not enough money or not enough energy, and if we can work on it together, then we can get somewhere, and I think part of the motivation for this is looking at 
these discussions that go nowhere, that get at nasty as a, a battle or a war. I don't mean to be overly negative, but nobody wins in a war. You destroy resources. You destroy time. You destroy, a lot of times in a war, the very things that people were fighting over. They need more food. They need this. And they destroy the fields that create the food. They destroy the oil reserves. They destroy whatever else. And it's the same thing in our interpersonal relationship. These discussions that go nowhere, these arguments, are like battles or wars where nobody wins, nobody benefits. And if you can see that up front, that can sometimes motivate you to come alongside your spouse, look at the issue that needs to be addressed, whether it's a parenting issue with the kids or something about the finances or whatever else, as a third entity that, hey, we're going to come together and work on this together because we know that the typical just sniping each other is like a war. War is insanity. Nobody wins. And therefore, we have motivation to come together on the front end rather than sniping each other. Such a great way of kind of externalizing. And I can imagine that can be very useful because both parties will be more open to hearing what's going on. If, if you're pointing your finger at me and like the message I'm hearing is that I am wrong and, and you think I'm bad, therefore I will not be open to any solution because I'm at this like fight and flight response and I just want to kind of wait for my turn so I can attack you. So I think mm-hmm. at the best case, so I like that you're thinking about, okay, the problem is a problem. Let's come together. We're a team. So how can we resolve this? Yeah. And, and like I said, I think so much of it is about motivation. Do you really want to have this argument again? Where did it lead last time? How much of your time, energy, limited resources did it take up? Because I think so much of it is you've got tools. What's your motivation to utilize those tools? Because I'll own it. And and maybe I I shouldn't as a conflict management professional. These aren't my first go-tos. I had to train myself to do these. My wife will tell you that. But I'm I'm a type A male I go out there, if, you know, something gets in my way, it's something I got to achieve. One of my first responses 10, 20 years ago was, well, I'm going to knock that down in order to get where I need to go. I found that wasn't effective. And so I had to adopt new tools. So I try to live out a lot of these tools. It takes consciousness and it takes motivation to put these tools. And I, I like that you're focusing on motivation. And what I notice in my practice these days, motivations are high because there are people living together and you want to be able to kind of tolerate your living situation because in, in past, I don't know, in past you would leave and go to work and you had like eight, nine hours of not dealing with the issue. But right now that we are, I think, even for the couples that they work in the same space and we live in LA and other big cities, the space is just small. So like you can at times hear your partner work all day next door. And I guess like if you have negative interaction, then it would be tough to live in that situation. So I would imagine that the motivation is there. Even the couples that I would think they have a bad relationship, I notice them they try to be more respectful so they can make the situation more pleasant or tolerable until they can file for divorce or separation. And I saw a few articles that I said, like, their separations are coming. What's your thoughts on that? My thoughts are, we'll have to see. You know, uh, I think you've heard me say, I'm I'm a bit of an oxymoron. I'm I'm a pro-marriage divorce mediator. I believe (laughs) in marriage. I I don't need any more business. 
Uh, I would love to have more people go to couples therapists, work on their relationship, um, because I think that's helpful. My, my goal professionally is to take more of the divorces that are going to happen away from the attorneys, away from court. So I don't need any more divorces. I just want more constructive and healthy divorces, which is what I do. So we may have more coming. Uh, certainly there's been more stress. People being contained in, like you said, a small environment is probably not going to help couples that were already having difficulties. But who knows? Maybe, maybe it's a critical juncture. Maybe it's a, a something where people go, you know what? Divorce sucks. I don't want to do that. It's painful financially, emotionally. It's painful for the kids. So I'm going to try to work on it. And, and I'm not saying the Grin and Barrett white knuckle, I'm going to stick together for the kids because I, there's some research that shows that's not even really good for the kids um, because of the environment that they're, they're living in. But I think actually working on the relationship opening up, discussing things. And if it's been years that this has been brewing, don't try that without a couples therapist because mm-hmm. that will go more sideways. You need somebody to interpret what she just said to him and what he just said to her. You need somebody to support you and facilitate that. I don't know. I, I'm, if it hasn't come across already, I'm very pragmatic. I'm not worried about whether they're going to be more divorces or less or more separation. I'm just going to worry about helping those people that come to me and hopefully encouraging people before they even get to me to go to a couples therapist, commit to that process for the long term. And long term does not mean two or three months. Mm-hmm. If it's festering for seven, eight, ten years, it's not going to turn around in three or four sessions. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of couples maybe don't have a realistic uh, uh, perception of. But I, I hope people find ways to work through this so that we don't have a spike in divorces whenever this is all over. Well, I guess this is my last question that I have, as I'm sure you have that experience at times as well, that people are like, it's always a partner's fault. We're going to couples therapy to fix the person. And again, I've been kind of guilty of that at times. I'm thinking about, oh, if, if my partner, my husband wasn't do that, we wouldn't do that. So kind of like not necessarily people not owning that part. And again, the other piece is like relationships are different. Some people are in their relationship with, with a partner that are difficult and they're, they're not flexible. So if we are in those situations that we have like our partners or the, the motivation is low, the, the engagement is hard. What are some of the recommendations you have for the, those individuals that want to kind of still get through this without kind of like going through the constant argument with their partner? Wow, that's a big question. I think there was three or four questions within that question. Partner motivation. How do we how do we set proper boundaries um, with our with our partner? I'm going to start with this. Some of my best clients ever, under very difficult circumstances, have been people that are active in their recovery. I love working with people that are active in their recovery because. They have motivation and insight. They're exploring, keeping their side of the street clean. And I think if you focus on your side of the street versus how much of a jackass your spouse is being, you've got something to work with because, A, you can't control them no matter how much you try, and, B, what's your sphere of influence? It's primarily yourself. So, you know, does that mean it's going to work in every situation? No, you have some spouses where it's just a bad fit or where they're a narcissist or they're just going to take advantage of whatever situation they can. And that's where we get to boundary setting. 
but in what I believe are still the majority of the cases where it's just a dysfunctional dynamic or what I call the dance between the two of them that they've developed over time with healthy input, or not healthy, with significant input from their family of origin, that dance can be broken by the, some of the things we talk about, the open communication, et cetera. And if both, person, if both individuals focus on their side of the street, they can clean that up. They can do what they can do. And I've had to do this certain times. There's times, you know, where I'm pretty sure empirically if I took a, if I had a focus group and videotaped the discussion between my wife and I, she's 80% at fault. And you know what? I, I, sometimes I'm good at this, sometimes I'm not. I go, well, you know what? I need to focus on my 20% because if I change my 20%, there's a good chance that that other 80% is going to change at least in some way. So I think it's, it's, looking at our side of the street and what we can do, because if nothing else from a practical perspective, that's what we have control over. It's setting healthy boundaries, because I do think there are people that will walk all over you if you let them. So it's, it's those two in combination. And then it, it's looking at, and like I said, I can tell you doing this a long time. Divorce sucks. It is hard financially. I, I don't know how many of my clients I've gone from, they're living in a house that they own, so they have to sell that house and now both live in apartments because usually most people pay 40, 50% of their net take home for housing. And now you've got two households. So that one alone, it makes it difficult. Does that mean you should stay under the same roof with somebody that you just can't stand? No, but if it can be saved and if they can get to a couple therapists and establish proper boundaries and keep their side of the street clean, then I think they have a chance of, of resurrecting their relationship. Love that. And I, and I think that's all we have control over, right? Our side of the street. We cannot change our partner. No one has power around changing anyone. But if you focus on our side, at least sometimes even when changing the your side, you can change the relationship dynamic. And I've seen that happening many times. But I think it's important to focus on the things that you have control over. And even with, when people are unpleasant, then it's you have an option of leaving the situation. It's not like you're stuck. Like even if it means like if the partner is like, rude and disrespectful you can just go to the different part of the house and I like that you're talking about boundary and boundary setting and I think that is the skill that many people need to practice because uh, sometimes many people didn't learn it from the family of origin and now they're learning it as as they're going through this kind of a high conflict separation or high conflict marriage yeah and I think one of the ways I crystallize it, there's a great book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Love that. Viktor Frankl went through nations camps. Yeah. Viktor Frankl went through the concentration camps. And at one point, literally, the clothes that he has was a pair of briefs, okay, underwear. And he survived an entire winter in a concentration camp in Germany because his premise, and I'm not going to do it justice, but I'm going to paraphrase it, is basically when everything else is lost, the one thing that you find that you absolutely have control over is your attitude, your how you respond in any given situation. And when somebody who went through an entire winter with nothing but a pair of underwear and survived whenever many members of his family didn't survive the Holocaust tells me that, I tend to listen to it. That tends to have credibility with me because he's it out. He, no offense to Tony Robbins, but he's not living on his own island in Fiji, you know, like uh, 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 Victor Frank, and he went through hell and back. And I, I that that to me 
is a, both an encouragement and a challenge that whenever things are just horrible, I still have control over. And really the only thing I have control over is my response in any given situation. So take that control, take that empowerment to respond in a way that's different, that's more healthy, that's more constructive, and it's going to look at what you want long-term versus your pride, your ego, your sense of being disrespected in the short term, because that kind of stuff is probably not going to matter next week, next month, and next year. Love that. And I think one of my favorite books in psychology is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, because I think it tells us a lot about how, how much power we have is just like controlling our thoughts and attitude and choosing our thought and attitude. So I think that was such a beautiful reminder. So Barry, uh, if, if God forbid people don't make it <laughs> and they need support with mediation, please tell us a little bit about your, your practice so they know where to go at least. So, and I know you're focused on children and like making sure that divorce goes smoothly for children. So I feel comfortable sending my couples to you. So please share a little bit about your practice with us. I'll just start with the basics. Everybody get a hold of me at my website, which is davismediation.com. What I do is I help my clients through this process in the most healthy, constructive way possible. And like you said, with a very significant focus on the best interests of the children, because they're the innocence in this of this whole process. I get my clients early. I provide a lot of structure, a lot of containment, a lot of facilitation of, you know, well, he's saying this, but here's what he really means. She's saying this, but here's what she really means. So I focus on the human dynamics, which is usually what sends the divorce sideways. The law, with all due respect to my attorney clients, it's not rocket science. They like to pretend like it is, but it, it's not. It's the human dynamics that usually send this sideways and where people end up in court, where in 2020, from what I understand from my attorney colleagues, it's about $150,000, two to three years, even pre-COVID, of litigation. Um, I help my clients get through the process in less than one-tenth that cost, and I help them focus on their kids. And one of the things, I'll, I'll brag for a second, we're three Please weeks in this uh, pandemic, okay? I focus on proactive, comprehensive parenting plans for my clients. What I'm hearing for all sorts of attorneys is they are getting all these calls. Now with the stay-at-home orders, parents are using this to violate their custody orders. I set my clients up so they can work together as good co-parents, so they have a proactive, comprehensive plan. Over the last three weeks, I have gotten zero calls from my previous clients that are violating custody orders. None, because I teach them how to work together. And if they aren't doing very well at that, I'm pretty direct about pointing out how much they're screwing up their kids by what they're doing and how they're acting. And most of them are good people that are distracted by strong negative emotion during this process that are taking their eye off the ball which I believe is their legacy, their children, what they want to leave going forward because of these strong emotions. And I help them refocus on that. So I think that helps them co-parent, helps them move forwards. And, and aside from my 90, 95% success rate over the last 17 years, it's been really gratifying to see during this time, I'm getting no calls from previous clients about one of them leveraging the fact that the children 
happened to be at their house when the stay at home order came out. So that's what I do. I'd love to work with anybody that needs my services. Hopefully it's come across during this that I would encourage you to go to a couples therapist before you even think about coming to me. See if you can resurrect the relationship. And if not, then I'd be happy to help uh, anybody through this process in a healthy, constructive manner. Excellent. And if you guys are listening to it as part of the podcast, the link is going to be on the show notes. If it's on the Facebook, you can find the link to Barry's website below. Thank you so much, Barry, for being on the show. I love that Like you are the person who always teaches us to work on the relationship versus <laughs> kind of like jumping to the conclusion that the relationship is not going to work. And I think I hope that these tools were very helpful for all of our listeners and viewers as well. Yeah, I hope so as well. And even if you're not in Los Angeles and we're never going to work together, go on my website under the Divorce Resources tab. There's handouts for talking with children about divorce. There's all sorts of other handouts. There's the Sesame Street website for young children to help them through divorce. Even if I never see, you know, people that are on this podcast, look at those resources and set yourself and your divorce up so that you keep your focus on your kids and can get through this in a constructive manner. Thank you, Barry. Have a lovely day. You too. Bye-bye. Hey there. I hope you found the conversation with Barry useful. The work that he was referring to now is part of the show notes. So you can find the worksheet in the show notes. Also, like many of you guys, all of my conferences, all of my travel plans were canceled. And the silver lining in the situation is that I was able to open up few appointments in my calendar. So if you are interested to seek counseling, whether to address some of these ongoing couple relational challenges that you have, or for the challenges that you have yourself, yourself right now, you are welcome to book an appointment with me. The link to my opening is in the show notes as well. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.